Hey, we're just about to jump into the episode, but before we do, did you know we have a junior-friendly Discord community? It's completely free to join. If you want to join us, the link is in the description. We'd love to have you. All right, enjoy the episode. Today, what we're going to do, we're going to learn more about New Camp, how it was formed, you know, what Ludo's beliefs in, you know, what a good coding boot camp should be. We're going to learn all about that. And then we're actually going to touch on some of the things that the previous guests have mentioned and hopefully wrap up with some really helpful and useful feedback for aspiring developers. But uh, yeah, let's jump right into our intros. Ludo, go ahead and introduce yourself. All right. So, hey, uh, I'm Ludo Farage. Um, I've I've been in the industry for quite a while now. I'm kind of hiding the number of years. Uh, but in general, like I will say, I, I started in the 90s, the, the very first internet, internet era um, uh, in France. And I was a, I was a software developer then. Um, then moved to the U.S. with the family uh, and moved away from software development to get into learning at Microsoft. Um, and so I kind of blended those two experiences, you know, building software and building learning experiences. Uh, and then in 2017, I will say, I, I kind of felt like I had to do something else because I was, I mean, it was kind of the beginning of the coding boot camps. I was very much into online learning at that time. Uh, and I saw an opportunity to do something different. So I started to work on the side and, and then left Microsoft and created NewCamp. So what'd you do at Microsoft? Yeah. So, um, well, so when I started, I kind of built the equivalent of amazon.com in France. Uh, that was my big, wow. big project there. Uh, I mean, when I say I built, I, I was part of the team, I should say. Um, and then I, when I, uh, joined when I moved to the US, I was working with partners. So uh, it was at the time of the .NET, uh, the very first .NET era at Microsoft. And I was working on certifying architects from Accenture, HP, Capgemini. Um, so I was still in the, I was starting to move away from development and into learning. Uh, and when I left Microsoft, I was in charge of the Microsoft certifications, uh, all up. Uh, and right before that, I spent a ton of time building MOOCs, massive open online courses, so big online courses. Um, uh, and I did that with, uh, actually it was business schools at the time. So INSEAD, Wharton, uh, London Business School and stuff like that. So that was pretty fun. Um, yeah, and I'll just say it's that, it's those two experiences combined uh, that made me think about, you know, coding bootcamp differently. And it started with an online point of view where because I had done so much online and I saw how, what the, the scale you can have with online, the quality you can have with online, but then also, you know, you will read the, the internet and they say, okay, 3% completion rate, right? So abysmal completion rate, people don't finish anything. Uh, and on the other hand of the spectrum, you will have, you know, the new coding boot camps popping up. But having a very traditional business model, you know, you have a campus, you hire professors, uh, but a great experience, very immersive. You know, you spend like 10 hours a day. You have those testimonials with students sleeping, you know, uh, overnight and stuff like that. Uh, and I was like, well, wouldn't it be great to keep everything that's great about online and take everything that's great about traditional schools and do something special? And so that's that's pretty much how, you know, every, all those experiences came together for for trying that experiment that is called New Camp now. Yeah. So it's a really interesting idea of taking a lot out 
of the traditional boot camp experience. And you, so you justify that because you feel like they go off of an old business model and you have been striving to build something better for people that will basically save them a little bit more money. Yeah. I mean, your coding bootcamp is really, really affordable. Um, so I think like my main question, you know, when we've been talking back and forth is what have you taken out to be able yeah. to keep your tuition so low? Yeah. So, and, and it started with the tuition, right? So the, the first decision was it has to be, you know, we have that term commoditized where if it's a business, you know, that requires $15,000 per student, a traditional business. And if we want to democratize access to pretty much everyone, not, not those who just have $15,000, then you really have to think about a drastic change in terms of price point. And every other decision then has to support that. So you're right. You have to look into, okay, how do you actually get to that? Um, the very first thing was, well, the business model is going to have different and it can't be in person. So the decision to, sorry, it cannot be full-time. Uh, it can be in person, but it cannot be full-time. Uh, and so that decision to really offer a part-time experience first came because of price constraint. Because with full-time means you're going to have to host students eight hours a day. And that means you're going to have to have a location for eight hours a day. And then you have to have full-time people for eight hours a day. And you can do that at the price point, right? You can do that at less than $2,000. So it had to be a part-time thing. So that's the very first decision. Uh, because once it's part-time, well, you rely a lot on online, which is great because I had a ton of experience in online. Uh, and you don't have to rent, you know, expensive campuses and you don't have to hire that many full-time full, uh, full professors or instructors, et cetera. So that's the thing, first thing we did. Um, and then the other thing that we did was, well, now that we're not full-time, we don't have to hire full-time instructors. We can actually... Uh, hire contractors, part-time instructors. Um, and we didn't realize just yet that this will turn into kind of a mission statement and that we do that will turn into something that people will be attracted to because of the good that it creates. Right. And so I've heard on your podcast, students saying how much they saw us, our instructors being there, not just for the money, but being there because they cared. Well, it, we didn't think about it this way at first, right? It wasn't, we're going to only get those people who care about it. It was just, it had to be this way hmm. uh, because we don't have a ton of money to, you know, give around. Uh, and we we're not looking for full time. So it has to be those software engineers that do care about helping the, their next kin uh, to join. So it was kind of a decision that was forced on us, which was great ultimately. Right. Um, and, and, when you look at, you know, the industry at large, you see all those open source projects that tells you there's actually an appetite for that. There's, there, are, there is a crowd out there of talented software engineers who are going to give away their, their time for almost free, right? Open source contribution. Um, so no, for, for us, it's not free, but it's, it's not a significant pay, paycheck, I would say. But the main decision actually we had to really uh, implement, and that's why actually I spent myself so much time back doing engineering, is we had to automate 
a ton of processes that will otherwise require full-time employees. Or we have we had to get rid of some of those, like admissions. No, we don't have admissions. Salespeople, we don't have salespeople, right? We don't have to pay um, a salesperson a percentage of the registration fee. Uh, everything is automated from the website registration to uh, how we place students with their instructors. And so underneath all that, there's actually, we're kind of saying we're a tech company as well, right? We had to build our own platform to really look at kind of the life cycle of a, of a student with us and automate uh, in a way that you can think of a marketplace, automate instructors, workshop locations, because we're still in person, you know, on Saturdays when before COVID, uh, and then of course content on our students. So that's kind of the magic formula we we had to come, uh, we, we had to actually implement. Uh, and some of it is cutting things, but some of it is just doing things differently. Okay. I'm processing that a little bit. So, hmm. Okay. No, I'm going to ask that later. Okay. So you cut sales. I'm one question I have is how do you bring in new students? How do you get new camp out there? And we had mentioned, you know, one of the reasons that you're coming onto this podcast, um, you know, this is a good idea, like going on to different podcasts and, and talking to different people that can get your name out there. Is this what you do to get your name out there or what else? Yeah. So it's like most startups, it starts with, you know, digital marketing and digital advertising. So we have our ads on Facebook and Google. Um, but then we count a lot on word of mouth, referrals, um, contributing to uh, forums. Like I saw your, uh, your, your podcast linked on Career Karma, for example. And so I'm, being, I'm, sure, I'm making sure that our students are there as well. Um, but yeah, it's mostly that. It's, it's the way people find us uh, is mainly uh, through marketing, not sales. So we are, I mean, from a technical term, if you think of a startup, we are a hundred percent marketing driven organization. Okay. That's, that's interesting because, you know, I've heard just different experiences between um, kind of launching a startup and depending on things like Facebook ads, things yeah. like Twitter ads. And I've, I've definitely gotten mixed reviews on that, uh, but it sounds like it's been working out to at least get that initial start for your coding bootcamp. Yeah. And the fear is is totally understandable. It's, it is scary to think that your business relies on two companies at the end of the day, right? Uh, and sometimes you're going to see um, uh, in the news a company that says, well, Facebook just closed my account and I don't know why. And you're like, oh, <laughs> crap. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what if that happened to us? And we had... The, so. Um, we had a scale like that. Like I remember two months ago, we received notice that our account was closed. It was a bug on Facebook's end, but it was closed for like 12 hours. And I mean, you're like, okay. <laughs> yeah, I'd be scared. Um, yeah, yeah, it is scary. Okay, interesting. Well, okay. So I, I think one of the important things that you mentioned is the no barrier to entry. Um, you, you take in pretty much all students. And I think there are pros and cons to that. Um, kind of what I want to start out with, um, you know, what are some of the pros that you, you feel that brings to your coding bootcamp? The pro for me was everything that we do needs to align to our mission, 
right? Um, we talked about the authenticity of what you're trying to do. What, what we're trying to do with NewCamp, we also want it to be 100% authentic. And so it will be against the model to try to be available to everyone and yet have criteria for actually allowing someone to come in. One of the reasons as well is um, I don't want to be the person or the company that's going to tell someone based on a, a test that we create that is 100% subjective that they do not have a career in tech, right, in sight. I think that's unfair. And I will be against categorizing or putting people in boxes, right, after a fir- you know, first, first review of something. Mm-hmm. Um, and so being available to everyone was kind of a mandate if we wanted to be true to what we were trying to do. Now, the challenge, of course, is you get someone who's actually, who's not prepared, who's going to fail like day three because they don't, they're not ready to do what needs to be done. Uh, and so for that, what we're trying to do is we, we're informing them. So we're kind of putting the ownership of making that decision on them. And, and it's kind of also aligned to our mission because we want to trust someone. Right? We want to make sure that we're not going to make the decision for you, but we're going to give you the information you need to make your own decision. And that actually, that's, that is the case throughout your experience with us. Um, and so we tell them, hey, to register to the 16 or 22 weeks bootcamp, you need to have fundamentals of HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. Or do you know that? You take that test. If you don't get to 85% correct answer, you should not be registering to this bootcamp. You should start with the four weeks or you should learn online. I mean, you can, there's nothing wrong about learning those fundamentals online, right? And we say, hey, buy a $10 Udemy course, spend one month, two months learning those fundamentals, and then take the test again and register. Uh, now, what's true is um, sometimes we do see people who registered even though they didn't pass. Uh, and what happens is a week, two weeks in, they're going to be like, uh, doesn't work for me. Um, can I go back to the fundamentals? And then we help them. We drop them from the full stack. They go back to, at the start. Or they say, sorry, I need to, I need to quit. And, uh, and then we, we give them the refund. So it's that kind of deal. Are the fundamentals required before you go into the coding bootcamp? No. No, we tell them it's, it's, the, it's one way for you to get the fundamentals of HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. But if you, the, the requirement is to actually not even a requirement, but you, we want you to get to that 85% success rate, right? No matter how you got there. Uh, and we kind of trust you that you're not going to cheat on the test either. Um, so, yeah. Okay. So I, I love, I love this mission that you constantly challenge yourself should the student really not be let in? Should we really deny that person access to becoming a software engineer? I love that mission. Now, it wouldn't be my podcast, you know, if I didn't challenge that. So feedback from some of your students had mentioned they had wished, because it sounds like you go over the right technologies and you're teaching the right things. But some of your students that did review the coding bootcamp, they felt like, it was, they really couldn't grasp the content they were learning and they had wished that they had learned more fundamentals before they entered the coding boot camp, mm-hmm. And that was definitely one, one piece of feedback. So when you talk about this idea of not letting someone in because of a test score, my question to you is 
What do you think about the idea of not letting them in just yet and providing them a free resource? And it might just take two weeks to study that before you do let them in. They would still have access. They'd still have that path to become a software engineer. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. uh, So... Let me, okay, there's, there's a few things that I, I could unpack. So on not knowing enough, we, we do struggle with that uh, in our curriculum. Uh, so, and, and I think I remember men, being mentioned CSS and JavaScript being the two, like the two ones that students may wish to know more. Um, right now, our, our full stack is 22 weeks. And we've actually over the month kind of expanded the amount of JavaScript that we cover. So we have actually reduced Bootstrap to replace Bootstrap and add JavaScript. So we have a total of almost five weeks of JavaScript between the end of Bootstrap, the beginning of React. But if we wanted to go beyond that, we would have to have a full, you know, full-on JavaScript course in the middle, which will then expand the length of the bootcamp. And so we haven't made that jump yet, right? Um, so that's one aspect where you always, you know, there's a trade-off of the length of the bootcamp, how much time people are willing to actually stay, how much money they are willing to spend. Because if we had another five weeks, then the price point will be different as well. Mm-hmm. And then the question, okay, can we go by with what we have and just tweak it so that it addresses a little bit more of what's needed? Uh, so there's that. On the free course, the thought was... <laughs> The world doesn't need a free a new free course from New Camp right now. <laughs> so yes, absolutely go go take a free course. Um, there's a ton of great stuff out there for for free, almost free. You know, Coursera, Udemy, you, I mean, you name it. Even our competitors are offering free, right? So yeah, absolutely go do that. Um, and and we think that 85% threshold is actually pretty good, right? If you if you get to that 85%, no matter how you are in pretty solid shape. I mean, it's, it's, it talks about CSS. It talks a lot about JavaScript, DOM manipulation directly in JavaScript, which is kind of the fundamental of everything. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of how we think about it. Um, Interesting. So, and I, I was thinking about this as well. So 22 weeks. So I, I reviewed a lot of coding boot camps, and you know this is something that I've I've studied for a long time. And on average, I feel like to be able to help students feel more comfortable with the fundamentals, generally a part time program is going to be about six months, and a full time mm-hmm. program, full immersive, is going to be about three months. So you're offering something for cheaper, and you have to like you just have to cut things to be able to make that happen. And so, you know, if you look at my video and you look at the comments, like the one recommendation that I'm giving people, I'm suggesting new camp that are interested in it. Um, but I'm saying that you're really going to benefit from a coding bootcamp that is this affordable if you supplement that information. And that might mean studying more fundamentals. Like you said, there are tons yeah. of free and super cheap courses. Do you feel like because this is like some of the main feedback that I got. Do you feel like that would be good advice to give prospect students? Absolutely, 100%. Actually, we have some data on that. 50%, uh, the last time I looked at it, 50% of our students did start online, did start Mm. by teaching themselves online. 
And it's, it's definitely the right path, no matter what you want to do or how you want to do it. Because yes, you're going to learn the fundamentals, but you're also going to learn if you enjoy that. Yeah. You're going to learn, right? And so, um, and we actually, we don't necessarily, we're not very direct about that with prospective students before I register. We don't tell them, hey, you should have spent a year learning on your mm -hmm. own or six months, learning on your own before coming to us. Uh, but definitely, yeah, that will be the advice because you're gonna you're gonna really have a good sense of what it means to be a developer. Uh, do you? And I, I go back to that. Do you like it? Do you really actually the process of not just learning, but really, I mean, debugging. <laughs> I mean, you, you have students going on and on and on about you know their debugging experience. Um, and so, yeah, you'll learn the fundamentals, but you'll learn if that's something you actually want to pursue. Uh, so, absolutely, yeah. Okay, and you mentioned the idea that you don't really bring it up to prospect students. And I can understand that's a really tricky thing to bring up um, too. But the way I've seen a lot of coding boot camps do it is um, they, well, see, your, your coding boot camp is a little bit different. It, you know, it's a, it's a no barrier to entry. Uh, you would really have to think about how you market that because it, at the end of the day, it's important that you do market that well. Um, but as long as you are willing to um, like give that recommendation for students. Uh, I personally would have signed up for something like new camp because I paid a lot of money for the coding boot camp that I went to and I didn't have a lot of money at the time. And I wish, I wish there was a code. One thing I didn't know was all I needed was for a coding boot camp to teach me how to learn. They needed, I needed a guide. Uh, just like some sort of guide. And then I could have learned things on my own because I was learning things on my own for like a year and a half before I decided maybe I don't know what I'm doing, but really I just needed that guide. And if I could have gotten or paid much less for that and study just a little bit on my own, um, I would have been just as well off with being competitive in the developer market. Um, it's something I wish I would add access to, but you know, I am happy with my coding bootcamp, uh, shout out to full stack Academy. They changed my entire life, but I really do see new camp as a really valid option, especially in these times where the market is continues to be a little bit more oversaturated and, uh, the economy's going down something like something affordable, like new camp, I think is going to be extremely competitive and I can already, I can already see coding boot camps kind of, uh, they're trimming down who they're, they let in. And I've done a couple more reviews that are upcoming, but they've kind of lowered on the quality of what they offer and people are coming in with all different skill levels. And I think coding boot camps are realizing they're not as competitive because they're still priced pre COVID. Yeah. So I think you have a competitive advantage just because of COVID. Um, <laughs> okay. We won't go more into that. But I, I love that it's so affordable and that's what we need right now. And that's why it's so interesting. I'll touch on something you just talked about, which is um, you learned online for a long period of time and then you found the structure of a coding bootcamp. And I think there's a misconception uh, in the mind of uh, some prospects or some students who actually want to get into a coding bootcamp. And that preconception is they are going in there for the curriculum and for the content. Uh, and I think they're going in there for the structure and the support. And, and the reason why I'm saying that is 
most coding bootcamp are gonna have a good, okay, sometimes great curriculum, right? Ours is whatever, you name it. I'm not gonna mention, I'm pretty proud of what we do, but, but there's so much competition in just the content itself that I bet you, you can find a fantastic, better curriculum out there for free online. And so we're, we're not, coding bootcamps are not there to bring to the industry the best curriculum because someone else is gonna beat us to that and it's gonna make it $10 on Udemy, right? Um, and so if you're just looking for the best curriculum, go on Udemy, do the $10, great. Really why you, you wanna to go to a coding bootcamp is because of the additional services, the wrapper around the content. And the wrapper is the structure, your classmates, the tutor, the instructor, the career services, everything, right? Everything that gives you that path. Right? You said you, had, you spent an hour, a year and a half, and then three months in a coding bootcamp. And, and those three months, we are very, you know, week by week, day by day, you know exactly what you're going to do when you're kind of hesitating for a year and a half. Okay, what am I going to do next month? And maybe you take a month where you don't do anything. <laughs> um, so I think, and, and it was, I say that because it was interesting for us. At the very beginning, we, didn't, we did not have our own curriculum. We were still oh, bootstrapping. Uh, we were still bootstrapping. And that was a conscious, actually, I thought I was going to, we were going to be able to just continue like that without our own curriculum. Because I truly believe that the value of what we were offering was not in the curriculum. It was in everything else. But it's, students couldn't, couldn't fathom that. They would, they, we got feedback saying, wow, that curriculum, I could have just paid it $10 online. Why am I here? No. So of course you don't want to fight, right? You don't want to fight the, that that sentiment. Um, so we we built our own curriculum, um, and it's pretty good. But I'm still a believer that at the end of the day, you 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 should not join a, a bootcamp because of its curriculum. That's for everything else. That's a really interesting perspective. When I quit my developer job to start my own company, I had gone back and forth whether I should offer. Um, paid coaching, kind of start to finish, starting just learning how to code to being able to be competitive in the market. And I, I thought about that a lot. And there are so many platforms out there that have really good curriculums, better than I could design. Mm -hmm. And I, I was thinking like, why, why in the world would I ever create that? It takes so much time yeah. to create and revise a curriculum. Mm -hmm. And, but, you know, like you said, it's hard to convince people because I do agree with you. It's not about the curriculum. That's You can get that for super cheap. It's about the support that you get and the guidance you get from professionals in yeah. the industry. Mm -hmm. And you have it, sometimes it's a hard sale. So I can see why you kind of like built yeah. out your own curriculum. Oh, that failed. Yeah, that failed miserably, that sale. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, that's an interesting discovery. Um, huh. Okay. So, so it's about the instructors. It's yeah. about... It's about the support that you provide and just to make sure that everyone um, is on the, the right track. They're following through with learning. They're not taking that month off, like you mentioned, and they have like professionals that they can trust. I think it's that advice from professionals of people they can trust to make sure that they're going in the right direction. So I, it's good to know like how you, how you prioritize new camp. And that's really interesting. Okay. So, Let's go over some more feedback, because I, I really like some of your responses to this. So you had mentioned Bootstrap. You're minimizing Bootstrap, potentially, to potentially put in more JavaScript. My Some of the feedback that I got was, 
your students wished that you had gone more into custom CSS, mm -hmm. that you spent too much time on bootstrap and they weren't prepared for some of the questions or getting into the industry with that CSS. Um, yeah. So what's, what's your response to that? Yeah. Um, I think so. It's a fair point. We, we do spend a week and a half on CSS in the, in the, the, the small four weeks bootcamp. But we don't really touch CSS that much afterwards. Um, and then we spend four weeks now on Bootstrap. Um, what I find compelling about Bootstrap for someone who's being introduced to development is how much results you can get very fast. Um, so, I mean, students really enjoy that first module because you know they can build a website, make it responsive um, using classes and stuff. And, and, and the, the feeling is great. Um, it's true that, I mean, it, it doesn't really touch necessarily on, on the core of CSS. Uh, and you will have to actually kind of work your way to find uh, the relation between Bootstrap and FlexGrid and all those CSS things. It does teach you the concept of styling though, right? It does teach you, and, and you don't know it, but you're using the Flexbox, the Flexbox behind the, behind the, the curtain. Um, so yeah, but I, I do see that. I mean, we don't teach pure CSS that much uh, in, in the advanced bootcamps. Um, and I, I don't know that I will change it necessarily. Um, yeah, because, yeah, I don't know that it would change it necessarily. I mean, because then we, we take Bootstrap and we do React Strap, you know, React Bootstrap. And so you take that knowledge and you apply it to React. It's a nice continuum, I will say. Um, the half conversation right now, some instructors are saying, hey, how about Tailwind, right? Why don't we do that instead? And I don't know. I'm, I'm Like many of those decisions, by the way, um, we, I try to not take those in, in a haste. So I'm waiting for, you know, enough people to yell at her, say, we need Tailwind or we need custom CSS yeah. before kind of doing anything. Uh, but no, not doing anything, but I'll, I'll monitor the conversation. I'll see what's going on. Mine, who's on our, on our team doing content, would like to be also, you know, check out what's doing, in, what's happening in the industry. And, uh, and at some point we'll make a move if, if it warrants it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and I did check out, I appreciate the invite to Slack and yeah. kind of explored some conversations. And one thing I can say, I'm not going to go into anything specific, but you, you guys definitely care about industry standards. You care about what's going to make your developers um, as marketable as they possibly can be. And I saw you being very cautious about changing the curriculum based on even just a few requests. And I think you should be. I think it's important that you be because... Um, I don't know how many times I've been told whenever I'm like doing a tutorial, I should be doing this. I should be using this framework. And it's, yeah. I mean, we, I think developers are just fascinated with a lot of the technologies coming out. I get it. Um, but I think you need a stable, marketable skill set. I think that's important. Now, the reason why I'm asking you about CSS and why I think it might be worth to invest a little bit more, because the feedback that was given was the people coming out of your coding bootcamp felt weaker on the back end and much stronger on the front end. Mm -hmm. And so in my opinion, you know, every coding bootcamp offers a full stack 
curriculum. Most coding boot camps are stronger on the back end, where in reality, I think it's easier to get a front end position when you kind of come out of a coding boot camp, at least in the United States and a lot of states that I looked at. And it might be worth looking at the data, but if you're producing good, strong, um, full stack developers that are front end focused, uh, lacking CSS becomes more of a problem. Um, so if they're strong with React, if they're strong with JavaScript, those are really competitive developers that are being introduced to the market. Yeah, it's a good point. Uh, and it connects to where we are right now with our curriculum. There, there's a big question mark right now we have on React Native. Uh, and when I think about changing the curriculum, I want to try as much as possible to not expand it, you know, add more weeks, make it more, more expensive. I'm trying to think about, okay, what do we swap out, right? And so React Native right now, there's the, ma the magic of, you know, you take your website, you make it an, a mobile app, and it's like, wow, you can do that. Uh, but, but it's also so painful to teach. And, and I think uh, it was Jeremy who was talking about all the problems he had with his Android you know, environment that kept crashing. I mean, we see that every course, right? Students are so, so painful. That's also when you need a big machine, right? To run all those things at the same time. So the question, question mark we have, and we're, we're not close to making any decision is, okay, do we really want to teach React Native or should we take those four weeks that we have there and do something else with them? Um, and so you're right, that could be, those, that's something else could be, what about we just spend time on CSS? Well, what about we do two weeks CSS, two weeks JavaScript? Uh, but this, this is kind of, yeah, that's kind of the world we're in where we're like, okay, how do we balance all those things so that it makes sense? Um, and listening to what, yeah, to the input of others. Okay. Um, I'm definitely going to check back with New Camp and, uh, and see if, if you do update your curriculum because I'm really curious which direction you go with it. Yeah. Huh. Okay. I, okay, I, I do have to ask this. Why React Native? I didn't expect to hear that. Do you feel like it's, um, you feel like there are a lot of React Native positions popping up for people that also have skills as a web developer? Well, building mobile apps is a huge market, right? Um, and, and tons of startups are thinking mobile first and apps first. And so uh, when we created, so we had that 22 weeks um, oh, and by the way, we started with Angular and Ionic. Um, okay. And so we, we, had, we had that, you know, that um, continuum of website turns into a mobile app for that same reason. And so when we moved over to React, we we're like, okay, well, it's going to be React Native next. We didn't think too much about challenging ourselves at that point. Maybe we should have. Maybe we should not have said, okay, Ionic turns into React Native. Maybe we should have been more critical of, the flow. Um, and the foundation of that was just, I mean, yeah, there's a ton of, not necessarily on React Native, but there's a ton of need for building mobile apps, period. Uh, and so React Native is one framework to do that. Um, okay. Yeah. Okay, it gives me some insight in your thought process. I, I guess this is just my opinion. And of course, you need to go with whatever you've talked about. I think NewCamp has the potential to produce really solid web developers. And I think we've had conversations about supplementing certain things and potentially refocusing the curriculum on, on certain things. I wonder 
if a jump to React Native is too soon without really solidifying some of these other concerns? Oh, it's a great point you're making because yes, potentially, if you're thinking about it from CSS and JavaScript standpoint, no, if you're thinking about it from a, a React Redux standpoint, because what we're seeing actually is our student, and we actually have a video on the platform of a student that says, in the week where we introduce Redux, the student says, you're not going to get it. It's going to be very hard to comprehend what we're trying to do here. But I'm in React Native right now, and I'm starting to see the light. And I'm starting to actually have the light bulb moment, moment come in when I do Redux in React Native. And so we're actually seeing people being challenged with Redux at first, sticking with it. And then in React Native, starting to finally get, oh, okay, I get it now. And, and, and so it actually helps the comprehension of Redux. Um, so yeah, if we had to do something with React Native, we'll have to do something about Redux as well and how we actually make sure that students get it. Uh, and we do have some, yeah, some ideas around that actually. So yeah. Do you, do you teach React hooks? Not yet. Um, big debate. Uh, we're going to do, I think it's, we kind of know we're going to do it. We're going to do Redux RTK, if I'm not mistaken, which includes Redux hooks, simplifies the understanding of Redux. And so hooks are coming. Uh, there's a question on Slack every week almost now. <laughs> so yeah, I that's saw. the one where, that's the one where enough people have been screaming at us that, okay, yeah, we're going to do something about this. Okay. I think people are really going to like that. Oh yeah, yeah. That's so that's one piece of feedback and one disappointment that I'm hearing from a lot of coding boot camps. Yeah. Not a lot of are updating to React hooks, not yeah. quickly enough. So, uh, another thing to give you a competitive edge for sure. Okay, I like this. All right, got a few more for you. You ready? Yeah, yeah. You're handling these really well, and I love some of your responses. And it it, it really seems like you've you've thought about all of this already, and you continue to think about it and continue to take in feedback. And I think that's important. Appreciate that. All right. So big thing is you made Git optional. We know how important version control is, you know, as a software engineer. And so some of the feedback that people got was you had mentioned, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you do require Git in the second half, but the first half it's optional. And we had talked about it and you had mentioned like when people were trying to learn uh, like a certain technology they were struggling because they were struggling just to even be able to commit and, you know, trying to learn two things at once, never a good thing. But some of the feedback that was said over the video was they wish that they had been more comfortable with Git. They struggled way too much in the second half with it. Yeah, it's a good point. So this, the story behind that is we, so first we, we, we do teach Git. Um, do we teach it enough? We could do more about that, but we do teach Git. And, and we, were, we, we have been asking students to make a Git commit every week, at the end of the week, actually at the end of each lesson, to do a Git commit. And that has been a roadblock for many um, students who are just starting. Because Git is a very obscure concept to understand, right? Those students, many of them, they have never developed in a team, right? They've never developed, and, and so they don't really understand what a commit is about. What is a push? What does it do? Why do I need it? 
Um, and then some of them, and we have actually found a fix for that. They will do a git init at the root of their hard drive. You, know, you imagine what that does. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so we will actually see those students who are just starting week one bootstrap, you know, on the path to be a student, uh, uh, a student with us for 22 weeks. And they would do a mental blocking on Git. And, and we're like, it's not worth it. We can't have that person just fail and, you know, be completely uh, exas- uh, exasperated by Git because we really wanted that person to learn to code. Git can come later. That was, that's, that was the thought, right? That's the thought process. And so right now the state is we do teach Git, but we mark that the Git commit at the end of each lesson is optional. So we don't force them to go that step. I think what we need to do better is when we're actually ready to force Git, that's when I think we need to do a better job of, you know, hey, it used to be optional to, be, to do a commit. It's not anymore. And maybe we need to then supplement Maybe we need to re-explain Git at that moment. I think that's what's happening here. Because Git, in our mind, Git is not optional, right? And in the curriculum's mind, Git is not optional. It's there, we teach it. But I think students look at it and say, oh, I don't need to do the commit, therefore it is optional. And and that's not exactly what what we were going for. Um, So yeah, that's helpful because yeah, I think we need to, when we do that pivot back to, okay, now it's mandatory, we need to do a better job at it. I see. I really like the fact that you're not forcing it in the beginning because it's they don't have the context. Like, yeah. and I think it's helpful to learn something new when you have the context of why you should learn it. Yeah. And so you've recognized maybe that's not right for the beginning, and you pretty much just nailed the solution that I was probably going to recommend. Right when you start forcing it, kind of just do a little intro on it again, whatever they need to be able to commit. Um, I, I think merge conflicts, people are just going to get comfortable with those once they happen. Yeah. And that, that can be a teaching moment, but I think you have the right mindset for that. I think that'll go really well. Uh, let's see. Okay. This one I was really curious about. Okay. So uh, another piece of feedback. They wanted to have more of a portfolio of projects. And so a couple of things, you know, one student mentioned that, you know, at the end they had um, the same project redone four times as they were learning something new. Um, And uh, I believe it was mentioned that the port, like there were one or two portfolio projects that were optional. Um, So, so what do you think about that? I know you kind of had some ideas. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, let me tell you a small a story, personal story first. Perfect. Um, when I first started, you know, um, NewCamp and I got into the coding bootcamp industry, I misunderstood what project portfolio meant. I think the, the definition of project portfolio is you want to have a website that shows your portfolio of projects. Is that your understanding of what a project portfolio is? Yes. Yeah. For me, a project portfolio was the actual portfolio of projects, not the website, the actual projects you will put there. Um, and, and so we don't teach students, for example, to create a project portfolio website, right? They can have one if they want, they can build it in Bootstrap or whatever, but that, that's not the point that we're going at. So we, di- we do teach them one project and I'm actually pretty happy with that design decision. Uh, let me explain. 
at the end of the 22 weeks, assuming you're going to the full stack, right? You will have built a real world application, website, mobile app, backend, that will be a cohesive collection of, I don't know, 50 pages of code, of HTML, of REST APIs, something that kind of makes sense altogether, right? And you build it every week. So you, when, I, when, I, when students actually talk about, hey, do we do projects? Sometimes I answer, you have a project every week. You work on it on the Saturday. It's not a tutorial project, right? It's not a, okay. you're not going to do tic-tac-toe on Saturday, uh, Google Maps the next Saturday, uh, you know, um, uh, to-do list on the next Saturday. So we, we don't do those kind of a quick and dirty or small projects that you can then showcase on your page that says, hey, I can do tic-tac-toe. We're not going for that. We're going for a real enterprise scale or startup scale application that you build over 22 weeks. And so you build it with Bootstrap first and it's responsive, it has forms, but it does nothing, right? I mean, the forms go nowhere. Um, and then you're gonna add React and we introduced now uh, JSON, uh, light server JSON, so you can actually manipulate data, you handle ratings, you store, uh, and so you had, you had the, the complexity of you know, managing React. We introduced state. And so now your project, that one project, the learning project, becomes more complex. And then we help you turn that one into a mobile app. So now that project really becomes a mobile app that you're going to deploy to the store, et cetera. And then we scrap the JSON file and the light server, and we allow you to actually communicate using REST APIs MongoDB, you know, you store it real for in real for real, and then we also help you to push it to the cloud. Um, so that's what every student are going to learn. They're going to work on that, you know, full scale project. And then what is actually not optional is to follow exactly the same path on your own project. So week one of Bootstrap, we actually start by asking students to do a wireframe or actually create a business case. I think we start with create a business case for your project. What is it going to be about? Hmm. Um, and then think about the wireframes, right? What are, what are going to be the feature, the functionalities? And, and they are following their, the path of the bootcamp and they are applying what they learn in their learning project, which by the way is called new camp campsites, right? It's a fictitious campsite where you can reserve rate campsites. Uh, and so they are applying that learning toward their own project. Um, they can do that solo. We encourage group work. Group work. Um, we have do, we have check-ins uh, on the learning platform, um, uh, and so it's it's we we I think we do a decent job around you know pushing students to do their to apply that knowledge to a, a project, not a portfolio page, but an actual project. Now, what we don't do enough with that, which is also a design decision is we have deliberately asked instructor to actually stay away from those projects because this is kind of the other you know, aspect of our bootcamp. We want to be fair to everyone and we are uh, hiring and bringing instructors in who have a full-time job. We are committing to them that, hey, your commitment is going to be about 10 hours a week, right? That's going to be fair. Right? You have 12 students maximum. 
they're in your care, uh, but it's gonna be a total of 10 hours a week. And we know if we open the door to students being incentivized or told that they can actually have their instructor debug, help with the project, we know it's gonna be a time sink. We know, you know it's not gonna be 10 hours anymore. And then instructors that come back to us and say, I can do this, like it's too much work, too much demand on me. And we don't really have a good solution for that right now. We, we, like we would like to offer more support and you know, the Slack community could be one, working in a group could be one, um, but having way more hour dedicated to those students working on their projects, how they apply it, uh, will have the, the price go through the roof probably, right? Um, and so it's, it's one of those design decisions. You ask me, you know, what do you, what do you cut? That's one thing where, yeah, I mean, if you, if you need to debug your project, you may actually have an instructor who's really cool with you and he's going to do it with you, but we don't force that. We don't, we don't set that expectation. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that kind of brings um, us to one of the cons of having the instructors have a full life outside yeah. of the program. And I, I completely get that. So I actually didn't realize they had designed their own personal project on the side. And what you had said about your portfolio is your portfolio projects. And what's interesting is I've never had a portfolio. I've applied to three, gotten three developer positions. I don't really tell people that, um, but I do have projects to showcase. Yeah, and so exactly what you just said is true. Those projects are more important. I've even recommended this to many people because for some reason, the portfolio is a website. People just cannot launch. They just keep working on it and working on it and perfecting it. And I recommend, especially people with that mentality, get a WordPress site up just with a gallery yeah. option put your projects up there. Your projects are more important. And I like the the fact that you really focus on a full-fledged complex project. I like that you encourage them to think about design decisions based on business requirements and you have them run through that mindset because, you know, at the end of the day, developers are problem solvers and you need to be able to bridge that gap between those design or those business requirements and a, techno, a technology solution. So, I like that. I really like that. I think, yeah, you would almost have to increase the price of your curriculum and you would, uh, you know, a lot of coding boot camps will bring in, like if students graduate, they'll offer uh, some money for them to come back and help the instructors with something like that. But mm -hmm. you, there's no way you could offer something like that without increasing your price. So yeah. I, I get why you designed it that way. Okay. So I think I have one more thing to mention. And then we're going to go, first of all, I have tossed nothing but like the constructive feedback your way. Keep in mind, there is tons of positive feedback. I highly <laughs> encourage you to go back and look at that. What do you mean constructive? All I heard was positive. Maybe it's my <laughs> mindset, you know. <laughs> That's just your mindset. You have a very positive mindset. I love it. So I love that your instructors, like it's, it wasn't even by design. It just happened. They're part-time. They do it because they love it. And that's what you found out. And I really think that's, you know, it, probably a selling point to your curriculum um, in your coding boot camp. Now, you had mentioned that instructors are limited at 10 hours per week. So one final piece of feedback was one of the students actually didn't even get a reply from the instructor for like two weeks. Do you find cases where that happens? How do you yeah. mitigate that? Yeah. So they're not limited. We're, we're setting expectation with them that we think the fair amount is 10 hours. And, and yeah. fair is a word that I use very, very often 
in, in the company, I will say. At the end of the day, uh, everything needs to find the fair you know, outcome for them. So some actually made the 15. Uh, some are so passionate. And I saw someone on your podcast saying that, I think it was Rich Jeremy, like scheduled um, a full one hour debugging session with him. And so we see instructors just do that, right? But, but, also, but also have the 10 hour recommendation and do what they like to do. So that's great. Um, we, we have, um, well, let me, let, let, me, let me go back to history, I would say. I was the very first instructor when I taught for six months, the very first bootcamp in Tacoma, Washington. Uh, and the big question mark was, can I find more Ludos, right? I mean, like I'm super passionate by that. I'm going to do it because I care. I'm not going to pay myself for a while. But is, is that really realistic to find US-wide people who will care the same way, will actually approach it the way I've approached it? Um, because obviously I thought the way I did it was pretty good. Um, and the answer is yes. And that has been a great relief when we actually saw that, yeah, you can find instructors that are, um, that have empathy, that have patience, that are pedagogues, um, they're out there uh, and they actually want to help. Um, and so, but of course we, we want to have a system that measures that. And so we ask students every week to give their feedback. Um, so over a 22 week, 22 weeks course, every week, they're going to judge the content and they're going to judge the, the instructor on the um, rate from one to five. Um, let me actually show you how it looks if you if you are interested in that uh, oh, yeah. screen share. All right. So, you know, I mentioned we, we kind of had to build on things. So that's one of the things we had to build um, where, I mean, if you're me or someone in the team, you're going to have an admin menu here where we can schedule, you know, we can monitor on Saturday mornings. I love this feature. If you ever want to wake up at 5 a.m. You know, on a Saturday morning to see how it goes live, uh, I'm pretty proud of this one. It's kind of semi-automated system to tell you if a class is happening or not. But anyway, um, we have instructor performance, instructor coaching, instructors. And so I think there was, yeah, what weekly feedback. That's the one I want to look at right now. And so that's kind of the, a dump of all the feedback. And then the instructor performance was kind of a summarized view of that, where every week on Wednesday, we're like, okay, these are the instructors who are below threshold and our threshold is 4.2, or they haven't graded their assignments yet. And so we, we reach out to them then. Um, now there's a bit of a issue here, but we, we're getting, so this is what we've had so far. That's kind of a five-week view, five-week period. And so 103 instructors um, above 1,000 students happening at the same time. And we've, we haven't said that enough, but all of those students, they don't feel they're part of a 1,000 people cohort. They're 12 students with one dedicated instructor, right? So it's very much um, micro, uh, the microcosm. Did I say that word? Okay. Um, so anyway, uh, and so you're seeing here that overall we have a 4.70 rating uh, for instructors. That first score here is, is instructor. The second one is our, is our content, 4.42. 4, 4, 4, 4. Uh, and then we can go into each module, right? Node um, or native, uh, if I pick, let's pick bootstrap. And so we look at that, Mine looks at that a lot because we're going to have the, the feedback here. I hope nothing is 
uh, best professors I've ever had. So we have a contest of who's going to be the best instructor here. Um, there you go. So, so Bootstrap has a 4.67 rate, uh, rating. Let me tell you what we face actually and what makes the systems, systems sometimes not reliable. So yeah, Rich, Rich is on, the, on par to be one of the best instructors here. And we have a few, a few like that. Um, but what we're seeing a lot actually, which is kind of a, um, how do I say that? It's, it's a twist on that model. Students are appreciating the model so much to be with a dedicated instructor who's in the industry, only 12 students. That's not truthful in their feedback. Say that again. It cut out just for a second. They are not truthful. They are not truthful in their feedback. So they're going to give instructors sometimes a four or five when they actually think it's a three. And so we know that because sometimes we get students write to us and say, oh, last Saturday wasn't really good. Like we had that happening and this was happening and, and I'm not the only one thinking that. And then we go into the system and we look at the weekly rating. We're like, what do you mean? <laughs> like the rating is great. And so we have to tell students for the whole thing to work, you have to be truthful yeah. and honest in your feedback, right? If you think the instructor didn't do such a great job, we need to know. And we tell them we can't, we can't act on just you know, hearsay. It has to be in writing. We need to know what happened. Um, so that's an interesting twist that we didn't expect where um, maybe those ratings are slightly too high versus the actual perceived reality. I'm sure it's not too high. I mean, the data is probably not a, not a lot, but, but still, that's what we're saying right now. That's interesting. So you feel in general, so do you feel like it was because they were trying to protect that model that they love so much that they didn't want to rate it low? Or do you just feel like people in general don't speak up when they don't agree with something? Uh, so I don't know for sure. I haven't really had that conversation as to why. Uh, what I glanced, and it's my assumption, is overall students really appreciate what we're trying to do. And, and, and they'll be looking at all the negatives, potential negatives, or what we're trying to do, and balance that with our mission, what, we've, what we're offering them, the fact that we're so affordable, um, the fact that we're authentic, um, the fact that we trust them. And they'll be like, no, I'm not like, you know, you don't want to, you want to be nice to people. I want to be nice to people. And I think they want to be nice to us as well because of what we're trying to do here. Um, and so it's a blessing and a curse, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I guess you, you really just have to emphasize, um, yeah. I think I remember this with my coding boot camp. I remember this being a problem actually. And they really to emphasize my instructors were so honest that they had to emphasize we want to hear. Like and, and you have yeah. to like really show that or people don't say it. Yeah. Now that I'm thinking back. That's interesting. But th so you you have this rating system and you care and you mentioned that you get the feedback like every week. Yeah. Yeah, we okay. get we get we have we capture all the raw data. I have someone in my yard. I don't know if you can hear that. If you can't, fine. Um, okay. Uh, it's, it's fine right now. Fine? Okay, okay. Yeah. Um, and on every Wednesday, we get a consolidated view where we aggregate the scores. And out of the 100 that you saw, we are gonna we're going to work on maybe four instructors, maybe three instructors. Um, and our, our, our next step, if 
there's something that needs to be attended to is to actually assign an instructor coach to that instructor, right? Maybe it's the new instructor he just started, needs sure. to actually get some coaching. And um, very rarely do we have to actually let go as instructor. Uh, but that it has happened. It has happened in the past. Um, but yeah, I think the turnover is very minimal. Usually, we see instructors wanting to come back and I kind of being repeat, you know, instructors. Um, and we're actually in the process of saying, you know what, if an instructor does it with us at six months straight, like a new, like every, like a reason repeat for six months, maybe we should actually force that instructor to take a break. Uh, it's not healthy to have all your Saturdays, Saturday mornings booked, you know? I like that. Um, and so we're kind of starting to have that feeling like, hey, maybe actually we should kind of have a forced break. Like if you're an instructor, you really want to, you know, take a breather, um, get your energy back up and, and then re-engage with the students. Okay. Yeah. Well, you, you know, you, you make that decision, whatever works best for you, but that's, that is really interesting. Cause I, I have a friend that, um, he volunteers for too much and I can tell you, yeah. he is not someone that would tell you he needs a break. And so I, I, I do think yeah. that's worth investigating for sure. And you actually just, uh, I think this is kind of recent, but you started doing career coaching, right? And yes. so we started talking about that a little bit because, you know, like, like, you know, that's my business is coaching. Yeah. And so you really solidified. So I'm interested to hear your perspective, but you solidified on 30 minutes. Let's narrow it down to 30 minutes because yeah. one of the pieces of feedback that I actually disagreed with on this one um, was he had wished that the session was like an hour. He wanted to talk about more. And yeah. I had kind of explained my perspective on like, I really like the idea of a 30 minute interview, but how did you come to that? Yeah. Um, it's two dimensions. Um, the, the typical ones, the one is the one you just described, which is 30 minutes forces you to be tight, forces you to cover one topic. Um, and, and it's, and it's easy to squeeze into a schedule, right? So our coaches, our instructors, right? These are the same people. Um, okay. So that's one dimension. The other dimension is purely financial. Uh, we are not charging anything right now for those coaching sessions. So we're absorbing the cost. Uh, and just offering an hour session would be twice as expensive to us. Um, so we said, hey, it makes perfect sense to start with 30 minutes. Uh, and so we're really in the very early phases of that program where we're, we're still learning from it. We don't know. Well, what I've learned from, you know, doing some research, research online is there are many graduates in many coding boot camps who don't actually respond to their coaches, who don't engage with them. So the assumption was we may actually find that the ratio of students needing coaching, wanting coaching is not as significant as we thought. And so the idea is, okay, if, it's, if it stays manageable, maybe we can actually absorb the cost. Right? And so we're really looking at that ratio of graduates and then how much do they actually consume coaching sessions. They have to initiate the session, right? So it can be any topic, it can be any time. It's a Calendly, you know, they know the Calendly, they book the 30 minutes, they set the agenda, uh, and there's no barrier to doing that. So, I mean, they sh I hope they don't listen. They probably will, but they could do it like you know, two days, three days in a row. Like nothing is preventing them from doing that right now, um, which is something we're thinking about. If it's abused, quote unquote abused, not, you see what I mean, right? So if we have too many people 
and it becomes too expensive, we may have to first say, okay, it's going to be once a week, for example. Uh, and then we may get to, okay, we're going to have to charge for it. Um, but yeah, that's where we are right now. Uh, and, and I can tell you that for a while, we didn't have that service. Uh, and, and it was something that really students wanted. Uh, we were actually telling students at first, we're going to promise you skills. We're going to promise you a great structure, a great environment to learn. We're not going to be able to promise you a job. And, you know, just like the, the curriculum is not what you're buying, this is not a great approach. <laughs> That's not what students want to hear. And they, don't, they want more than that. Uh, and so we really thought about, okay, what can we do that fits our model that will address that point? And as you said, you know, coaching sessions with a person is, is, is super important. Um, but I would say when I, when I think about what you do, the big difference is being reactive versus proactive, right? Uh, and it's the, the depth at which you can go. Um, just like we, uh, we indicate or we don't set expectations with our students or instructors that they're going to work together on the project portfolio, we, for the same reason, we we're also telling uh, coaches that, hey, if you find yourself debugging the code of your student during the coaching session, that's probably the wrong co coaching topic. Right? Because then it's going to be hours and hours trying to debug something, and so that's not going to that's not going to make sense to to us financially and and to to the to the coach either um, to the students. That yeah, could help. That could be helpful, but there needs to be other outlets for for helping with code debugging. Okay, I don't I don't know any coding boot camp that has their instructors actually coach the students. First of all, I love that you do that, but I, I think you have to draw that barrier of. It's not technical. It's more career focused. Um, yeah, I, I think many coding. I think people are understand. Hopefully they're understanding of that because almost every coding boot camp I can even think of does it that that way. And they draw that that barrier for sure. OK, so I want to be conscious or conscientious of your time. Um, this is really good. I got to pick your brain and uh, this is really interesting. But um, to me, like. New Camp is, is super affordable. And we talked about it. I know you told me to be quiet. Don't say the secret. But I think you're going to be very competitive right now. <laughs> I think you're on the right track to um, being just making something more affordable. And like I can see really thinking about like the right things to cut out. Because you have to, you have to make those trade-offs. You have to for the, the price point. And I love, I think one of the most important things is you're constantly reevaluating mm -hmm. what, what you prioritize. And that is incredibly important. Um, but I, I like the idea of new camp. Like I said, I would have seriously considered new camp back in the day. If I knew that was an option, it was, I know it wasn't in my local area, but I think it's really affordable. I still, there are a couple things that I kind of, I'm kind of questioning on whether it's going to be a positive or negative change for you with the direction that you're going, but you seem like someone that's going to be able to measure that and assess that correctly and just, you know, revise that. And I think that's important. So, um, I like the idea of new camp. I really appreciate you diving into this with me. Um, I'm going to allow you to shout anything out. Like if you have a promotion, anything like at the end, but before we do, I want to pick your brain one more time. So for aspiring developers, anyone watching this, um, especially considering a coding bootcamp, what would be like a final piece of advice you would have for them? Um, so 
for me, getting into coding, and I can actually say that from a personal experience as well. Because um, as I mentioned, 20 years ago, I started as a software developer. But then I stopped for 15 years and got back into it. Um, and what got me back was the emotion you get when you're coding. Uh, and so the process of becoming a web developer or a developer, software engineer, whatever, and being one is really an emotional journey and it's an emotional uh, check for you. And, and so I, I've told my students that you need to check two emotions. It's when you're faced with a bug. It's when you're faced with something that absolutely doesn't work. And that's going to be 80% of the time at the beginning. How much perseverance do you have? How much tenacity and grind do you have? And how much do you actually enjoy, even though it's painful that the thing doesn't work, how much do you enjoy, you know, the micro progress? Like suddenly, you know, it was bugging on 9.12 and now it's bugging on 9.14. How much do you actually appreciate that process and actually like that process? Nobody really likes it, but some people can actually handle it, like for hours. I'm one of those. I'm sure you're one of those. Most, if not all developers are like that. They can handle, you know, hours and hours trying to find a, a solution. So can you do that? And then the second emotion is the best emotion when finally it's working. When you got to the end of your piece of code and everything works as expected, how much of a high do you get? Because I do get a high. Like it's, it's done, it's there. You want to pump your chest and, and it made everything worth it, right? And so those emotions are very important because it doesn't matter. And I think you said it. It doesn't matter what is your education background. It doesn't matter what jobs you did before. It doesn't matter if you have a bachelor or not a bachelor, or if you're good in math or not. I find that really matters is it's going to be a long journey. It's going to be an emotional journey. And is your persona, personality, are you actually able to handle those emotions? Or are you going to, you know, is it just too much for you? And that for me is actually a big decision criteria. That, and, but again, I will say as well, I will never put people in boxes. Like I won't do that. But it, it's probably one of the things you want to check um, before maybe engaging in a coding bootcamp or during the coding bootcamp. Is that career for you because of those reasons? And you don't need to be in a bootcamp to check it. I mean, you, you can just force yourself you know, to be consistent with the course Make sure that you don't just do copy and paste in the course, but work on something on your own and see how you feel. Yeah. I really like that. And I, I usually encourage people to, to try coding out, but you really narrowed down what you feel like they should be feeling to see if they might enjoy. Like, even if they get a little bit of an emotion, like yeah, maybe maybe this is the wrong way to say it, but like if you're frustrated with a bug, maybe feeling a little less frustrated when it goes to the, you know, 10 yeah. lines down and it just keeps getting better until you have that aha moment. I really like that. Oh, and you're going to be frustrated. We're all frustrated. It's just, can you handle that frustration? Yeah. Um, like, like deep down who you are, do you know you're going to be able to handle that frustration and keep going at it? Right. That tenacity. Uh, it's an emotional tenacity because everything tells you no, right? <laughs> but yeah. you still, do it because there's another voice that's going to say, no, but you can do it. 
Yeah. I like that. I, you can really tell that you've been in this industry for a long time and you can tell that you've been able to identify what you really love out of it. And I can see that you're trying to instill that in other developers. You're not just teaching them coding, but you're instilling the right positive fun loving mindset to have when you dive into building something new and learning all of this. And I think that's incredibly important. I think you have that down. So I like it. Um, okay. I kind of broke my promise. We're just a tiny bit over. I want to give you an opportunity, but, uh, you want to shout out uh new camp, anything you have going on? Um, check us out. Uh, that's pretty much it. Um, it's, um, we we the promise we want to make to students is we're going to be trusting your ability to make your own decisions uh we are going to be empathetic with your situation um we're going to try our best to accommodate to what what you need um we'll listen to your feedback when you have some um yeah and it starts with new camp really starts with an idea that we can make education better uh, and then we can make the world better you know um so yeah that's that's what we kind of stand for and uh and so yeah just check us out and if it resonates with you shoot us an email or chat with us online or yeah anything like that ludo this is fun i like picking your brain thanks for i loved on. it i loved it why do you get to have all that fun all the time that's really i really wanted a piece of this i really wanted <laughs> to like be with you for an hour and a half, you know, talking about stuff, coding, that's great. I really, really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Just